Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. Um, but growing up, um, my family was never religious, and I guess that made me an atheist by default. Um, I was ignorant, really, to religion. Um, I never found a reason to, you know, look into it. I thought my life was fine. And um, right before freshman year, about two months before school started, um, our entire family moved to Camas, Washington, here. And um, it was really tough. Definitely the first couple months, um, a freshman in a new school, new high school, you know, uh, not knowing anyone. So um, I really had nothing to hold on to besides, you know, grades, homework, stuff like that. And, you know, I didn't know a lot of people. It was kind of rough. And um, I don't know. I, I just kept, kept on pushing, kept on pushing. And, you know, thought I was doing fine, loving life and stuff like that. And then um, the end of junior year, about June, um, I was visiting some friends in Mukilteo, and I had a rough patch, I guess you could say. Um, I had been in a slump for a few months then, um, and then one night I was in the car with my friends, and I was just like, wow, it would be so much easier if I just ended it all, like right now. And um, that was the scariest moment of my entire life, honestly. And um, thank God my friends were in the car with me. They, you know, I talked to them. Um, explained to them what was on my mind, and um, after that, um, I was like, all right, something needs to change. Something's missing from my life, and I need to fix this. So the friends who I had been talking to that night, um, I've known them my entire life, and I've also known that they're religious. So they've never been in my face about it, you know, because they're really worried about the Christian stereotype of, you know, trying to drag people to church, trying to convert people, which is not true at all. Um, And so I went to them for help, and they were like, well, hey, yeah, like, we can get you started. That's awesome that you're interested in this, and, you know, we got summer camp coming up in just a couple weeks. Like, you can sign up for that. And I was like, all right, yeah, sure. And, you know, I just went on a whim, and um, (laughs) honestly, it ended up being life-changing, just the entire thing. And um, I think the first thing that kind of hit me was just the stigma of Christians, and... um, I found out how nice everyone is. That's great. And, um, yeah, and I also got this cool necklace, just saying. And, um, you know, like, I went, and um, my family, they didn't really know what to make of it because they're not religious, and I've never really had that conversation with them. So I told them, you know, it's just a camp. Um, You know, I'll have fun there. But um, it it was just a huge learning experience the entire week. And um, I remember the first day, uh, the pastor there was reading Genesis, and I was like, whoa. Like, that was my first time seeing Genesis ever. And um, just the entire week was so great. And then, um, you know, coming back from uh, camp, I had two friends um, from the camp in Mukilteo. Um They came down and visited me here in Camas. And so we're going to Seaside, Oregon, you know, because everyone loves the beach. And um, we're there, and I'm like, hey, you know, what, what's, what's baptism? And... Um, I had been reading my Bible all week and heard baptism a couple times, and um, my friend's like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's a thing that you do when you're, like, you're declaring your faith and stuff like that, and it's like turning a new page, and um, I was like, well, hey, like, that, that's kind of cool. 
I, maybe I can get baptized sometime. And we were at the beach, and my friend's like, yo, let's just do it in the water. And I was like, all right, sick. So um, <laughs> it, it seems kind of like spur of the moment, but um, it, it really meant a lot to me. And I think that was at the point when I was like, all right, like this is who I am. This is my life now. I'm proclaiming my love for Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of his. I'm a lover of his. And it just... It just meant so much to me, and um, since then, um, at the end of summer, I had been visiting my friends in Mukilteo, and um, I, I remember I had a conversation with one of the youth pastors there, and um, he was like, you know, you've grown a lot this summer, and he had just met me like a week before camp, but he was like, you've grown a lot this summer, and I want you to know that even though this is a learning experience for you, you're having an impact on others, and that hit me the hardest of pretty much anything else so far. And um, it just made me realize, like, if I had gotten into this sooner, then I could have had a whole life to live in Christianity. And, you know, God forgives, and um, I'm fine with where I'm at now, but it definitely would have helped to, you know, (laughs) um, come to the Lord sooner. So, um, I don't know, I guess something to leave off with. Um, I, I just wish I was a Christian sooner, and I think the theme or the the takeaway from this is that, um, you know, don't be afraid to, like, bring people to church. Don't be afraid to tell your friends about it because, you know, not all of us are just totally against religion. Like, some of us really need it, and um, I know I really needed it. So, um, yeah, I guess that's my story. Bro, great job, man. Hey, I want to pray. I want to pray for Colton here in a minute, but um, what a good takeaway, man. Like... How many of you, like even I see a bunch of campus kids here and it's like, especially campus kids that are from Citizens, you're like, I've known that kid since freshman year. He needed to know about Jesus. I mean, it's just so like, like a slap in the face, but a wake up call to be like, how many of our friends need to like know the gospel, right? How many of our friends are just sitting here going, hey, I, I, I'd like to hear about Jesus and eternal life and, and all this stuff. What, Genesis, that was perfect, right? And so, um, yeah, let's continue to do that. If any of you guys are like, dude, I wanna share part of my story. I wanna like, you know, come up here and, and do, or do that for a few minutes. Uh, you can go to lpcvan.com slash stories and uh, fill out a little form. Let us know that you wanna share your story and, uh, and we'll do that. So let's pray. Lord, thank you, God. Thank you for Colton. Thank you that you have saved him. Thank you that he came to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, or that he heard the good news of your grace and of how you're forgiving people and bringing them into your family. And uh, Lord, he surrendered. He said, here I am, God, I want in. And Lord, you brought him in. So continue to grow him, Lord. Let the gospel continue to work in him. Let the community of citizens and of LifePoint continue to teach him and grow him, Lord. And uh, may he continue to make an impact on those around him. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Thanks, man. Give it up one more time for Colton. All right, so hey, we're continuing a series here. We're continuing a series in 1 Thessalonians. So go ahead and open up your Bibles. Open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. If you do not have a Bible, um, bummer, bummer. No, I'm just kidding. If you do not own a Bible, if you don't have one, we have these blue and white ones along the back. You guys can grab those and they're yours. You're like, I've always wanted a Bible. Happy birthday. It's not my birthday. Merry Christmas. It's not Christmas. Shut up, all right? Take it. So no, seriously, what we do here every week, we, um, we get together and we read it and we go line by line and we explain it and we see what, uh, what God has to say to us. So 
uh, before we get into this, how many of you in here are test takers? How many test takers do I have? You're like, you love tests? Okay. You're like, no, no, like test takers. You're like, you know, you can do an essay. You can do multiple choice. Like, yeah, no one. Okay. Okay. So growing up, I, um, I wasn't a particularly strong test taker. You know what I'm saying? Anybody like that? You're like, just give me a book report. Give me something that I can go home and cheat on the computer so that way I can turn it in, right? Just not in class. And so I was a test taker. And every once in a while, um, the teacher would give us options, right? She'd be like, all right, so class A, we're going to have an examo. Um, this is like Spanish class, obviously, right? I passed. And so we're gonna have un exam. And so we can do essay, an essay exam. No, 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 no. We could do short answer. No, no, no. We could do multiple choice. Ah, or we could do true or false. Yes, right? Yo, how many people in here are like true or false? I, I got that, right? You give me 30 true or false questions and I'm just like, I can get down on that. Except there's been an evolution, all right? Somewhere. Somewhere along the way, teachers decided that true or false should become code for I'm going to trick you, right? Like true or false should be super easy, right? Like it's super simple. Like I would go into it thinking we went to the moon in 1969. That's either a true statement or a false statement, right? I can handle that. It's 50-50, right? If I'm not sure, I guess super easy. But when did teachers become so trickery? right? Trickery, yeah, shish, e, right? When did teachers decide that true or false should be more like this? We went to the moon on September 17th, 1969 on a checkered rocket ship and the captain was wearing blue pants. <laughs> Teacher, I'm like true or false. That's not true or false. What part of the exam, what part of the question am I supposed to be focusing on to determine whether or not this is a true statement, right? They tricked me. I thought true, and false, true or false was my friend, but it wasn't. And so you go into an exam like this and you sit down and you're stressing out and you're like, checker rocket ship. I don't even know what checkers are anymore. Blue pants. I'm not even wearing any pants. And you're just freaking out, right? Because we all feel like the on exam day. You know what I'm saying, right? And you're sitting there and you realize that your success, your ability to do well is based directly on your ability to discern truth from error. Your success is based on your ability to sniff out the lies and the trickery. Your ability to say, is this the real deal? Is this truth? True or false? True or false? Being able to do a true or false question, friends, is not something that's simply for the classroom. True or false is not just something that you do in academics. True or false is the very beginning of Christianity. Like we just heard with our friend Colton, being a Christian begins with a very important true or false test. And the way that you answer this true or false question doesn't just determine a score, right? This is more than a grade on your report card. The way that you answer this true or false question will determine your life. It will determine the path that you take, the decisions that you make, the friends that you have. Your entire lifestyle is based on how you answer the question, true or false, to this very important question. And so for a few moments today, I'm gonna to show you a passage here. 
I'm gonna show you a passage where the Thessalonians needed to answer the question, true or false? Are you guys ready? True or false? Here we go. Verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. If you haven't been here for the last several weeks, we've been talking about the Thessalonians story, right? And so Paul, he shows up and he's in Thessalonica for three weeks. And he comes in there and he rolls in and he's telling them this story. And he goes, hey, I wanna tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. And they're like, what is that? He goes, well, let me tell you, God, the creator of the universe had a plan to rescue humanity. And they're like, okay, I'm interested. He goes, and it gets better. He actually came down, his name was Jesus Christ. And he told people that if they turned from living for themselves, if they turned to live for him, that they would be met, not with punishment, not with shame, not with disgust, that you would be met with love and acceptance and grace. And he started telling people to follow him. And the Thessalonians are like, whoa, okay, this is cool. He says, oh, but bummer, he made people so uncomfortable with his message, they killed him. Oh, but then the story gets even crazier because he didn't stay dead, he actually rose from the dead. I'm sorry, I, I thought you just said rose from the dead. Rose from the dead. He declared that he was victorious over even death, that nothing could stop him because he was God. And as he rose from the dead, before he ascended, he told his disciples, make disciples, give the point blank summons, follow me. And so he tells them this story and he gives them this pointed response. He gives them this call. There's not an invitation. There's not a multiple choice. It's, it's one or the other. Follow me or not. And so the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, they're sitting here. They're hearing this crazy story. They're hearing this thing that he calls the gospel, the good news. And they are brought to a decision point. They have to choose. This is a message from God, true or false. True or false? Paul's telling them this story, right? And he's giving them a huge call. Live your entire life for Jesus. But what if this is made up? What if these dudes were just high on something and they made this whole thing up? What if they're coming here and they're calling me to leave everything I know to be true, to follow God and live for him? Like, there's a lot on the line here. Is this true or is it false? The call to follow Jesus is not just something that they said on a whim. Hey, if you have time, maybe in your discretionary time, and maybe a little hobby, follow Jesus on the side. It was very pointed. It said, here's the gospel, follow him or not. And as they're facing this decision, they are left answering the question. I heard it, right? I'm, I'm hearing this gospel, but the question is, is this true or false? But what we see here, they received this message, they accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And so we see the Thessalonians, they answered the question, true or false? And they said, we think it's true. We're convinced of this, right? We are willing to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. Because think about it, these guys were coming in, right? This team was coming in and, they, and, and the Thessalonians, they saw their life. 
They saw the way that they lived. They saw the power of the gospel. They saw supernatural stuff going on here. They heard the message and all of that, right? All of the stories and all of the examples, it led them to the conclusion, dude, we're convinced this is true. This is not made up from men. We think this actually is from the living God. So we're convinced. We're in. Students, what's your view of the gospel? What is your view of the word of God? Is it true or false? Because like, I I can tell you this story, right? Colton can come up here and tell you the story of the gospel. Your friends, your other youth staff leaders, we can tell you this story, but at the end of the day, you're making a decision. Is this for me or is this from like some living God out there? I'm delivering it, students, but it's not my message. This is from God. Do you believe that? True or false? There's a lot of ways that you can explain this away. And so let me demonstrate, all right? Especially when you go away to college, it's not uncommon, or perhaps you have friends in high school where people will say, that's not the word of God, false. That's not a message from God. This is simply man-made. This is something that over time people made up. This is something like conformity here. This is something that the man, right? The establishment, they made up this message because they wanted people to obey them and conform to their behavior. And so this whole gospel and story, there's no such thing as Jesus. This was made up so that they can get you to obey and manipulate you. (laughs) This is how we cope with a meaning. You believe in God? You go to that church? What a fool, like... You really believe there's some God out there? Listen, there's no point to the universe. We come up with this feel-good church stuff so that we can cope with a meaningless existence, so that we can feel better about the fact that our lives have no point. Some people believe that. Some people explain away the gospel. Some people think that it's fairy tales. I had my biology teacher tell me when he, (laughs) he looked at me in the face and he goes, so you want to be a pastor? I go, yep. And I knew it was coming, right? Because I'm like biology honors. He's looking at me. He's like already starting to put all these dreams on me. And he's like, dude, you could be this and this and this and this. And I'm like, or a pastor. And he's like, I remember his face. Cause he's like a pastor. I'm like, yes, Mr. Now for the rest of your life. Yes, Mr. Now. But you know, that's not real, right? I go agree to disagree. <laughs> he goes, that's superstition. That's dogma. But now with the enlightenment, we're so enlightened and we know how things work. What's your view of the word of God? I'm here telling you tonight that this is not my message. This is not made up. This is a message from the living God. And you have to answer the question, true or false? True or false? You can't pass. You can't go, no, you know, when I'm older, when I live it up, then I'll come to a decision. No, no, no. Every one of us needs to answer the question, is it true or false? And we see that the Thessalonians, they answered Without a doubt, true. True. So what happens if you were to accept the word of God, if you were to accept the gospel as the word of God, as a message from the living God, what difference would that make in your life? If you were to accept this as a message from God, what would that do to you? What difference would it make? How would that affect your life? Well, let's take a look here. He says in verse 13, it is at work in you believers. So the gospel came to them, but we see that not only are they receiving God's word, it's actually working in them. When you receive God's word to you, it works in you. 
So the gospel message, the good news about Jesus is not just like a, a, a static list of concepts. It's not just a list to memorize. To go, oh, I got it. Thank you. I'll, I'll tuck that away. No, the gospel is actually more like this. Anybody hungry? Anybody want to come eat with me? Who wants to come eat? You're, anyone? Anyone at all? Nobody's hungry. Right? Come on. Come on, Owen. Come, come, come sit down with me. Come dine. Yeah, Colton, come on, right? So this is what it's like, right? How many of you have eaten before? That's a softball, right? You're like, this guy's tricking me, true or false? I don't know. You've eaten, right? And so in case you haven't known, I want you to eat that right now. Eat it. Bigger! I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Don't choke, please. No, no, I'm just joking. Take your time. Enjoy. Yo, spread some butter. You got this, all right? So when you eat, here's the way it works, right? It's crazy. You receive food, but then it is working in you long after you're done eating it. You know what I'm saying? So you eat the food. How's that going? Is it good? Pretty good? All right, don't chew, don't talk with your mouth full. It's rude. Come on now, all right? So you eat, right? And lo- eat. I brought you up here for a reason. Thank you. So long, long after you're done eating, he's going to eat. He's going to stand up, right? He's going to stand up and he's going to go sit down long after he's done. Long after he's received the bread, how many people know the food is still working in him? Right? The food is going down and now there's digestive juices doing something crazy up in here, Right? His body is metabolizing. You too, man, keep working, right? I can't carry you though, so you're gonna walk on your own. And so like his body is metabolizing these sugars, right? His body's breaking down proteins and adding muscles and getting rid of waste. I mean, everybody poops, right? I'm just saying, right? And so long after, long after he receives the bread, classy move, long after he receives the bread, thank thank you, Long after he receives the bread, it's working in him, right? He's benefiting from it. Friends, that's what the gospel is. When you receive the gospel, it doesn't just come to you, right? It's actually at work in you. And so the word of God comes to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it comes to you and you say, you know what? True or false? I'm convinced, true. And so you receive it and it comes in here and now it's changing you. And before you even know what's happening, you look at it and you're like, wait a minute, I feel like I'm different because I'm growing in my understanding of it and now my actions are being increasingly informed by them. The way that I think, the way that I see the world, my attitude toward others, my desires, my attitude when I don't get my way, my patience, the way I treat money, the way I treat social issues, everything is now being informed by the gospel because I've received it. It's constantly transforming me because God is working in you through his word. And so how many of you have ever talked to your parents or, or maybe you've talked to an older Christian and you've heard them say things like, um, oh, food, there you go. I should have given you that, my bad, dude. All I have is stale bread. <laughs> Budget cuts, crazy, right? You've heard people say, like, oh, God spoke to me. How many of you ever heard that phrase, right? And I remember being a teenager. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. God spoke to me. But what is that? Can God speak to me? What does it mean God speaks to you, right? And so there would be certain people in youth group or certain people in the church and they would talk about God speaking to them like they had God on speed dial. They're like, oh yeah, I went home yesterday and God was telling me this. And I was like, can I get his number? What do you mean God speaks to you? What does that even mean? And friends, what I think, what, what, what people are saying when they're saying God speaks to me, God speaks to me. What they're saying is that it's like the light bulbs are going off. 
as I read the gospel, as I accept it, as I listen to him speak to me, and as he puts his finger on things in my heart, as he calls me out, as he helps me see certain implications for my life based on the gospel, it's as if God is speaking to me. He's, these are his words. If you wanna hear God speak, listen to his words, right? If only he would leave me a voicemail, right? Or a letter, And so the word of God is living and it's active. It's alive in us, just like food in our digestive tracts. The word of God is alive in us, working in us, helping us understand from God how our life should be, how the world works, what he's like. And so when we spend time in his word, when we hide it in our hearts, he speaks to us. He speaks to us. And so students, if if God works in us through his word, if he changes us, if we're transformed by his word, then we should be a community that prioritizes biblical truth, right? If that's what this is, like if we're saying true, this is God's word, then this should be central to everything that we do. We should be doing Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. When God's word comes to you, it works in you, students. True or false? This is the word of God. True or false? And so let's continue with our story here. We see that the Thessalonians, they answered true. We're convinced of this. We believe this. We're gonna stand in this. And so here's a question. How do we really know that they were convinced? How do we really know that they answered true to the question? How do we know that they weren't just telling that to Paul to make him, yeah, yeah, we believe it. Oh yeah, yeah, we believe this. Just uh, leave us alone now. Thank you, backing away slowly, right? How do we know that they were actually convinced? Let's check it out. For you brothers became imitators. Everybody say imitators. Say it with conviction. Come on, imitators. 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 Oh my gosh. All right. Get your own imitators, right? Imitator tots. Whoa. Sorry. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. What's a Gentile? We'll talk about it. So, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. It says here that they suffered. They suffered the same things. Opposition is starting to become a pattern here, isn't it? Everybody say opposition. Opposition. We start to see a pattern emerging. And the pattern is that those who receive Jesus, those who say that the gospel is true, those who decide to follow him, they're constantly experiencing suffering. They're constantly experiencing trouble and opposition. And and the Thessalonians, they know this. Remember the pillars, right? One of the pillars of their story, one of the foundational experiences of their story is that they received persecution from others. And so we know that opposition is clearly the pattern. 
Paul says it here, those who are, are making them suffer, it's like they're displeasing God. You can say it another way. It's like they're opposing humanity because they're trying to keep back the one message that can save you, humans. <laughs> they're opposing humanity. They're displeasing God. They're causing suffering. And yet, here's the point. Even though they're experiencing suffering, even though they're experiencing opposition, we know that the Thessalonians are convinced because, check it out, while they suffered, they became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. How do we know that they're convinced? Because in the face of suffering and opposition, they're still standing. How do we know that they answered true? How do we know that they're convinced? Because even though they suffered, even though they experienced opposition, they are still standing. Let me demonstrate, okay? My sister, Barbara, real person, not a fictional character, though she sometimes acts like a fictional character. My sister, Barbara, is on this phase right now, this fad called veganism. Has anybody ever heard of veganism? Just, I don't want to assume, right? Because you know what happens when you assume. You're wrong. And so my sister, she's doing this thing called veganism, right? And so she comes and she talks to my wife, right? And so my wife is like, this would be cool. It could be like, you know, we could try it. I'm like, but like, what kind of meat do I eat? Well, you don't. You just eat vegetables. Well, that's cool. But like, what about when I want meat? Well, you can have these really cool cubes that taste like meat. But what if I don't want something that tastes like meat? What if I want meat? Well, you can't do that. Okay, before or after the meat, you can't do meat. Are you getting the point here? But I can try anything. I'm a flexible guy. No, I'm not. And so I can try anything for a little bit. And so I decide to go along with the fad and I'll say, I'll do the vegan thing. Okay, cool. Gets me points with the wife. I'm a vegan. And so we're going through and it's like, we're doing salads. And she's like, isn't this so nutritious and full of protein? And I'm like, it's a cucumber, <laughs> whatever, right? So I'm willing to try it. I'm willing to give it a try. I can do the fad. I can do the experiment. But how many of you know that if I turn on the news and I find out that there is a mob going through Portland, murdering the vegans, if I find out tomorrow, you're clapping. Oh, bad, right? Bad. How many of you find out that if somebody declared war, if somebody decided to murder the vegans, I'm picking up the first chicken wing I see, right? Somebody's gonna come up to me and hold a gun to my head and go, bro, do you eat meat? I'm like, yes, I eat meat. Do you want some? It's my pocket, right? I'm not holding on to vegan. Vegan who? I don't even know vegan. I don't even like him. <laughs> I'm not standing for that because it's not the truth. I'm not all in. I don't believe that. And so if you do not believe something, if you are not all in for something, as soon as suffering comes, as soon as opposition comes, deuces, all right? I'm not about that life. I don't stand for that. I do not believe that even an ounce enough to stand for that and be willing to die for that. Murder the vegans because I'm, I'm like a meat eater. I only eat meat. I'm allergic to salad, right? But if you're convinced of something, like these people were of the gospel, even though people are coming through and they're not murdering the vegans, they're murdering the Christians. 
And they're going door to door and they're banging on doors saying, if you follow this Jesus, come out. I got some words for you. If you really believe it, you say to yourself, you go, man, this is the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. But what choice do I have? This is true. This is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but where else can I go? Jesus is the truth. Jesus, this is a message from God. This is real life. This affects my eternity. If this is true, where else can I go? Normal dudes under, under suffering, they would run and they would say, self-preservation, I'm out. That's what normal people would say that don't believe something but those who are convinced that this is God's word and they accept it and they have it working in their souls, they don't run and say self-preservation. They stand and they say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. They say, I'm not going anywhere. And yes, you may kill me, but Jesus held my eternity. And so how do we know that the Thessalonians were convinced that this really was the gospel? How do we know that they were convinced that the answer was true? It's because even in the face of opposition, they are still standing. Because students, when you're convinced, you stand. When you're convinced, you stand. This is what those in Judea did. This is what the Thessalonians did because they're imitating them. This is what all Christians do in the face of suffering because when you're convinced, you stand. How many of you people know what this is? Anybody know? Call it out, what is it? It's the Colosseum, good, it's good. Early Christianity, one of the most profound things, one of the most impactful things that has ever happened in Christian history is a Colosseum. One of the most powerful testimonies of early Christianity was their willingness to stay standing even when they faced imminent death in the Colosseum. And so the emperor was literally throwing followers of Christ into the, into the Colosseum where they would be mauled by lions. You thought gladiator was cool? Depends on what side of the screen you're in, right? And so they'd be thrown into the Colosseum but before they did, they were given one last chance. They would come out, they'd be standing there, and before they released the lions, they would shout down to the people in the Colosseum, last chance, do you deny that Jesus is God? Do you deny that he is Lord? And they would stand there and they say, this is true. True or false, Jesus is Lord. And they would stay standing there because when you're convinced, you stand, and they would stand and they say, True. Release the lions. And you see, here's the crazy part though. Here's what's wild. They were doing this because they were trying to discourage Christianity, right? If I'm like, hey bro, you wanna be a vegan? Sure, what's going on? Well, everybody's murdering us. It's crazy, come on. You'd be like, no, I'm out, dude, all right? Because that would be a, dis a demotivator. That would be discouraging to join a movement. And yet, it's crazy. I don't, like, you still cannot wrap your mind around this, but bro, they would murder Christians and then the Christian movement grew. They would kill more Christians and then more people would become Christians. It's crazy because what, here's what actually happened. And I don't think the emperor understood what he was doing, but when you pull people in front of a crowd and you ask them, 
in the face of suffering to deny their God and they say no, it sends a message to everyone else that's watching and they go, snap, this is the real deal. These people are willing to die for this. It's not like they're terrorists, right? Because I've heard the argument for terrorists. Wow, there must be something really true about this because they're willing to die for it. Terrorists are brainwashed. They're not willing to die. They are going toward death and bringing others with them. That's, that's garbage. Christians weren't willingly going, ooh, let's go die. They weren't doing that. They were standing their ground. And when threats and opposition came to them, they said, I'm sorry, but this is the real deal. And so more and more people were like, I'm attracted to this. This must be real. I'm curious. So they'd go and go, hey, tell me more. That guy was willing to die for it? Dude, that was your son. Why didn't you tell him to stop it? And they go, hey, because for us to live is Christ in today's game. Tell me more about that. And then boom, people were being saved. They were converting to Christianity. They were following him, even in the face of death. Because when you're convinced, you stand. And so here's the point, friends. Paul, remember how Paul was ripped away from them, right? He knows that they stood in the face of opposition. When he was there, even when everybody was mobbing, even when he was ripped out of there at nighttime, like, like a thief in the night, like even though they stood under opposition while he was there, he's concerned. This is where his fatherly concern comes through. Here's where his motherly affection shows. Now that he's gone, how are they doing? In the face of all of this hostility, how are these brand new baby Christians doing? Is suffering taking its toll? Its toll? Are they still standing? What do you guys think? How are they standing under all this opposition? Let's find out. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Remember the mob, right? You guys remember the mob? If you weren't here for episode one, go back to lpcvan.com slash youth. Listen to episode one, okay? It's crazy. It's like the pilot. I actually preached for two hours because it was the first one. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Does it feel like it's two hours? Dang it. I'm just kidding. But go back and we learn about the mob, right? They were torn away but not in per- only in person. They were physically torn away, but their, their concern was still for them. They go, man, these are baby Christians. I just, they just got converted. They just shared their story like Colton. They're following Jesus, but now they need to be born. They need to be like taught because when God births a baby Christian, he gives them a spiritual family, right? I've used the metaphor before. Imagine the hospital says, wah, wah, baby, how you doing? And then they put them outside the sliding doors on the front step and they go, good luck, baby. Have a nice life. No, when babies are born, they have families. When spiritual babies are born, they get spiritual families. It's crazy. And so Paul's feeling it right now because these spiritual babies are born and their family was ripped from them. And so this is painful. His concern and his desire was to see them survive the opposition, to stay strong. And yet, here's the clicker, he couldn't get back. He couldn't get back to them, right? Satan hindered us. Again, opposition is the pattern. There's an enemy of our souls who would love for nothing more than for us to be kept away from the one thing that can save us, which is Jesus. 
And so he's experiencing opposition here. That's the pattern. And so how would you feel if you were separated from these people? Like, dude, imagine you're at school, right? And, and your friend, she says, I wanna live for Jesus. Would you teach me? And you're like, yes. And she gets baptized on Sunday. Monday morning, you guys get together in the homeroom and you come up with a game plan. Tuesday morning, you show up and you find out that they like moved last night randomly and you have no idea where. God, help them. Say, what? I, I wanted to teach them. I wanted to grow with them. I wanted to read the Bible with them and teach them everything about Jesus. How would you feel if they were ripped away? And so this is what Paul is feeling right now, right? He says, I, I, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. But look what we see here, friends. While Paul can't come himself, he looks forward to Jesus coming. While Paul can't come, he looks forward to Jesus coming. Think about it. He can't come and it's killing him. And so all he can think about is the day that Jesus comes back. All he can think about is the day. And friends, true or false? True, we believe this, that one day, and we'll get here actually in 1 Thessalonians 4, that one day Jesus is coming back. Again? Yes, again. And the sequel is gonna be way tighter than the original. Check it out. It's gonna be crazy, right? So he's coming back again and he's going to gather his family, all of his followers. He will gather them together from the living and the dead and they will be with him forever. And all Paul can think about is that on that day, when Jesus comes back and gathers his family, he wants more than anything for the Thessalonians to be standing there with him. All he can think about is that when Jesus gathers his family and they're all standing there, that he will look to his right and he will look to his left and the Thessalonians, even though they suffered, even though they had opposition, they are still standing and they're with the family of God. That's all he can think about. And so he says, this is my hope. That's what he's looking forward to, right? The thing that keeps him motivated, his hope is that they will stand there. His joy, nothing will make him more joyful than seeing not only that they're standing now, but when he comes back, they will be standing. He says, my crown, right? Like any, any people excited for the Olympics coming up here? Yeah, me too. Yeah, you guys are so non-cultured. Um, but like, there's this thing called the Olympic Games. Ever heard of it? And uh, so like people would compete, right? And this has been going on for centuries. And so the victor of the race or of the competition, whatever it was, he was running. And the thing that he was motivated toward, the thing that he wanted more than anything was to get a crown, right? And it probably had some like leaves or something, probably smelled really minty, you know, makes you smell good. And uh, so he wanted more than anything, the victor's crown. That was his boast. That was his pride. And so Paul says, the thing that I'm running toward, the prize that I want more than anything is to see you standing there, mature Christians standing for Jesus. That's his crown. Students, can I just talk to you for a moment from here? My hope, my joy, the crown toward which every single youth staffer in here is aiming for is to one day see you standing side by side with us at the return of Jesus Christ. That's the crown we're moving toward. That all of us, no matter the opposition, no matter the suffering, that we will still be standing. That's my hope. Still standing. And so as we end it here, right? But wait, were they still standing? Wait, how did, they, how did they fare with the opposition? Wait, what about the suffering? What about the struggling? How are they doing? You'll find out next week. You'll find out next week. Come back.
back next week, right? Next week, he's gonna show us how they're doing and we'll see. But we end on this note because right now it's not about whether or not they're standing or not. It's about Jesus is coming back. And students, as, as the band comes up and gets ready to respond, here's the reality. You try to stand for Christ. You try to stand even in the face of opposition. And how many of you know that when you stand, sometimes your legs get weak? Let's be real, right? Sometimes your knees start to do this like weird, like this weird buckle, right? And you're like, I, I don't know if I can stand anymore for God. Sam, I'm trying to stand in school. I'm trying to stand for the Lord, but you just don't understand. Like, I, I don't have enough power. I don't have enough self-control. I don't have enough gumption to stand for Christ. And what I want to tell you tonight, students, as we look forward to the day that Jesus comes back, my message to you is not to work harder. My message to you is not to have more self-control, to pick yourselves up and to try harder. My message is rely on Jesus. When you feel your faith wavering, when you feel your legs shaking, rely, lean, come to the one who never wavered. Come to the one that even when he faced suffering, even when he faced death on a cross, he didn't back down and he stood standing. Come to Jesus, the one who perfects our faith, the one who grows our faith. Rely on him, tell him of your weakness and let him carry you. And so our response today is not to get hyped and to go, yeah, stand, stand. Our response today is more of like, almost like to kneel and to go, Jesus, I need you to help me stand. Jesus, I confess my sins from this past week. I confess how I fell, but I wanna stand for you. I wanna be standing when Jesus comes back. Let's do that.